The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. If you're here for the first time, we hope that you feel what God is doing in this church and in this place, that this is a unique work of the Holy Spirit, and it is an amazing thing to see. We also say hi to those listening on podcasts, especially today from Spring Hill, Kansas. And we know that you have uh, tornado damage where you are, and we are praying for all of that as you work on that. If there's anything we can do here in Pastor Robles, you just let us know. So we are on our second week of our series called H2O, or Hope to Outsiders. And of course, we are focusing on giving up something for Lent so that we can give that money to water. So H2O is a reminder of that. We're also looking at the focus of hope, and we're looking at one of the most hopeful books in the entire Bible, the book of Philippians. It's such a powerful book. Paul's in a really dark place, and yet he sees brightness in the future. He, he has all reason to be upset and to be angry about his current condition, and yet he knows the deep heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is that the gospel of Jesus Christ means that you and I are on a river if we are Christ followers. We are on the river of hope, if you will. And that everything in our lives flow from darkness into light. When we are on that river, there is nothing that can take us off of that river. And that we may not be flowing as fast as we would like, or we may have some obstacles in the middle of that river, but God is taking us from, from challenge into ease, from difficulty into hope, from, from darkness into light. And we remember that text we looked at last week, that powerful text, being confident of this that God will continue the good work that he has done in you. It's a good work, and he will continue it on until the day of Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can turn that work around, nothing in our lives. And that is the most hopeful thing we can think about. So today I want to talk about how God gives us hope through humility, that by pouring ourselves out, God fills us up. So we are planning our summer activities as a church, and we hope you're planning your summer activities. It's not too long away. And we're going to do flag football camp. We're going to do men's retreats, all kinds of stuff. And we'll probably do the all-church water park extravaganza at the ravine again. We're looking at doing this. And I don't know if you like river uh, water parks as much as I do, but I'm a big fan of I love our water park. I love a couple of the big rides. Uh, a couple of my favorites are Anaconda and Viper Slide. I mean, I love the names. The Anaconda and the Viper, they go kind of meandering these long snakes. And then there's the kickback Creek River Ride. That's always a good one. You can just kick back on. And then there's the Calypso Bay Wave Pool. That's where you just sit there and listen to Calypso music. And then my, well, my next of my favorite is the Kamikaze Slide. That's the 100-foot drop that shoots you down. And then they call it the Wedgie Inducer. I don't know why. (laughs) But my favorite ride is known as Vertigo. And Vertigo is this this ride that goes 35 feet around and around and around and around, and then it shoots you out the bottom. Been on that ride? Uh, I was going on that ride, and I was talking to one of the kids going up to the top of the ride. I said, I love Vertigo. And they said, what's Vertigo? And I said, this ride. And they said, no, this is called the toilet bowl flusher. And uh, so being flushed out is not what I really want to talk about today. <laughs> what I want to talk about is, is pouring ourselves out. So I want to look at two of the sacraments of our tradition. These are holy things, the most holy things, aside from the Bible and aside from our faith. These are our two holy sacraments. And if you come from a Catholic tradition, you come from a place that has seven sacraments. We, rec- we respect that. But in our church, we have two sacraments. We have 
we have communion, and we have baptism. And the interesting thing is, in these two sacraments, they are both about pouring out. Uh, We do communion here regularly in our church, and we always try to do it very respectfully, and we try to do it in a way that honors God. But remember that this sacrament is about a Thursday night. It's a Passover when Jesus gets together with his disciples. And he is with them at that Passover dinner. And then at the end of the meal, Jesus takes a cup and he, what? Pours it out for the remission of our sins. And Jesus literally says, I pour out this cup. This is my blood, which I pour out for you. Take and drink ye all of it. For as often as you do, you declare my death until I come again. In a way, Jesus is pouring himself out. God will fill him up again. And in being a part of Jesus' filling up, or we are filled up through his pouring out. That is, of course, one sacrament. And then the second sacrament of our tradition is baptism. And the most famous baptizer was John, John the baptizer. People would come down to the River Jordan and they would have all kinds of issues. They'd be unemployed. They'd have marital problems. They'd have kids. They were driving them nuts. They'd have areas of sin. And and Paul would put them in the middle of the river and he would, what? Pour water onto their heads, a symbol of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And he would say, I pour water on your head. And by the way, this is the H2O series. And if you haven't been baptized, this is a wonderful time to have this be a part of your tradition, your faith. The Holy Spirit is poured upon our lives. And what we believe when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, that we all will always have the pouring on of God in our lives after that moment. So these are the two sacraments of our tradition. But it isn't just Jesus and the Holy Spirit that, that are supposed to be poured out. It's also us. God would say that the best definition of a life is one that pours itself out from the moment it is born until the moment it heads into the hands of Christ Jesus. The, the best thing that you could do with your life, the most best value of the time that you and I have would be to pour ourselves out. And how do we do that? Lots of ways. There's, well, we could pour ourselves out with a God cause, right? Uh, we just started an Oak Park project on the north side of town, and there are a couple of guys, Garrett, who does the lights, and Jim, who are leading that project, and people are going once a week to pour themselves out so that God can fill them up again. And then there's this table outside today for the Fresno Project. We encourage you men to think about going over there to pour yourselves out into that community so God can fill you up again. And there's other ways to be poured out. There's working really hard for God. There's emptying our hearts. I know a lot of people do a Bible study in the morning. And some of the best Bible study people I know, what they do is they have two journals, and this journal is for the pouring out, and this journal is for the pouring in. So they write everything and get out, everything out of their mind in this journal, and then God speaks to them and they write in this journal. In, in a sense, they can only really be poured in by God when they pour out first whatever is going on in their lives. Humbling ourselves, bowing down before God, confessing our sins and shortcomings, obviously a big part of our faith, but, but people's lives turn around. Paul knew that. Jesus knew that. John knew that. That when people say, I am wrong, that I have not been going in the right direction, it's only at that moment that God can actually begin to pour back in again. It's almost like we occupy too much of our own space or something. And then there's lots of other ways, allowing ourselves to be totally used by God. There's a woman who's on steering team who is thinking about a crazy idea. She's thinking about 
going to seminary with her life. And, and this is a way that God is really saying, I'm going to pour into you as she pours her life out to God. So I want to lift up a text today. Last week's was about this river of hope going from darkness into light. Today's text, and it's again the book of Philippians, we're going to read a lot of Bible through this series right up to Easter. We only have four weeks, so we're going to really try to pour in a lot of Bible into our lives. And so let's look at Philippians chapter 2, and Paul's main theme here is this pouring out, humility, giving, and giving of ourselves so that God can fill us back up again. Let's listen for God's word. This is how Paul begins chapter 2. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. That is self stuff. But in humility, again, it's funny, Paul actually makes up the word humility here. Paul makes up more words than almost, probably even more than I do. Paul makes up a lot of words. And the reason Paul makes up the word for humility is there's no word for humility in Greek or in, in Latin. The Roman tradition, there's, you don't want to ever think of yourself as humble. They didn't even have a word for it. Uh, you know, the, uh, you probably don't know who uh, Sherman Brothers is. He wrote the song, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Well, you know that song. He made that word up. Paul is making up a word for humility. And the word is, tapinos prosune. Would you say that with me? It's good. And put your hands together like, like this. It will help you. <laughs> Ready? One, two, three. Tapinos prosune. Good. Tapinos really means to be lowered down, to be less than, lower. Um, the Latin word piano, if Caleb plays the piano, piano is quiet, pianissimo is very quiet. Piano, tapinos, is the Greek for lowly. And phrenos, phren, phrenology, that's where we get thought, it means to think, so phrenology is the study of thought, and phrenos, or frosune, means to think less of ourselves. And that's what really Paul is saying here. Don't, don't think more of yourselves than other people. Think less of yourself than other people. Because you have a self-esteem problem? No. But because it's only then that God can then lift you up above others. This is what God wants to do. He wants to lift us up above others. But only when we, we think, when we tapinos frosune, can God lift us up. Uh, look at these two gr- statues. The left is a statue of Zeus. And you will see that this is a Greek statue and his head is slightly tipped upwards. Do you see that? And you see on the right is Augustus. This is a Roman statue, and you see his head is a little bit higher like this. That's because in the Greek and the Roman tradition, you would never lower your head. You always look around like this, like you're in the Godfather or something. <laughs> but Jesus and Paul are saying, do this. Bow down your head, and God will lift up your head. And so he continues, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Think low of yourselves and then think of others. And he's saying, do like Jesus did. Now here is deep theology. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Be just like Jesus, who in being very nature of God did not consider equality with God, but made himself nothing. Now this is deep theology. Really, Jesus and, and the Father are on equal plane. This is what Paul is saying. And that one of them bows down to the other. <laughs> that God bows down to God. Now, that's deep philosophy theology, right? And so that's how he begins. God bows down to himself but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant or even slave. That's really one of the hardest things it would ever to be to be a human being and to be a servant or a slave, but being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. You've heard that phrase, lower than a snake's belly in Death Valley. This is lower than a Jesus who died on a cross. 
You see, God bows down to himself, and then God decides to bow way down and become one of us. Who would want that? And then God bows even lower and becomes a slave. And then God bows even lower and then dies, and he dies the worst death any possible person could ever. On a cross, the worst death. And so where is God? Way down here? No. Listen to the next verse. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names. This is from his song. You've heard it before. That the name of Jesus every bow, knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. Therefore, says Paul, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. Now again, can you obey when they're chin up? No. You can only obey when you bow your head. Obey, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with all of your hard work and your righteousness? No, with fear and with trembling. Soren Kierkegaard picked up this theme in his book, but really he's not saying we need an anxiety disorder. He's really just saying, really, be serious about bowing down. Be serious about it. For it is God who works in you. Again, bowing down, God will work in you to will a purpose, to act according to his good purpose. And he says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Complaining people, that's chins up. But people who don't complain, that's chins down. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, so that God can lift you up, how high? Above this crooked and depraved generation, so that you will shine like the stars. Bow yourself down so that God can make you as high as the stars, and you hold you out in the word of life, in order, says Paul, that I may boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor for nothing. Paul is like a coach, like a coach who's about to retire, and this is like his last game, and his team is behind in the fourth quarter, and he has one last huddle, and, and Paul is about to retire. He may die in the next couple of years. He's in prison. He knows these are his last days, so he gets the team together, and he has a huddle, and he says, team, this is my last game. Now go out and win one for me. But really, he's saying, win one for Jesus Christ. And here is the focus of the morning. Here is the main focus of our text. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, you see this image he is picking up from Jesus, even as I am about to pour my blood out, and as this letter is being read in the Philippian church, there must be not a dry eye in the church. Imagine if we had a missionary out in the field and we got a letter from them saying, as even as I'm being poured out in death, there wouldn't be a dry eye in this church knowing that that person is dying for the people in the church and the Philippian church are wiping their tears from their eyes as they're hearing this. And so he's saying, now we should be really sad for me. No. He's saying, what? I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. He's happy that his life is being used to its fullest purpose. This is, you can't get a better definition of the perfect life but to pour yourself out for some great cause. And you can't pour out for a greater cause than Jesus Christ. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's be happy. You pour yourself out and I'll pour myself out and Jesus poured himself out and God will fill us all up higher than we could ever be. And that's the text for the morning. One of the things I love so much about living in, in this place, this amazing place that we live in, is I have never lived in a place where people worked harder. It's true. I've never been in a place where people had to work harder, but also loved working hard. Let me just show you what I'm talking about. How many people in this room are married and not retired? Married and not retired. And how many people are married and not retired and are, both of you are working in your relationship? Exactly. Every, everybody's hands are raised. You cannot almost live in this area, or let's say it's very difficult 
to live in this area and not have both people work. And that causes all kinds of challenges, doesn't it? So people work so hard. And yet, I've never met a place there were so much joy in working. And I know it can be hard, and I know that it's difficult, but I was at an olive dinner the other day, an olive festival dinner. There was a winemaker there. I won't name him by name because you would know him, so I'll just call him Steve. And he was sitting across from me, and, and Steve is my age. He's about 40 years old, and his face is pretty ashen white most of the time. His hands are, are crackled, and his hair is white as snow. He works harder than anyone I know. He was a part of a big family in the San Joaquin Valley, Del Monte, and they did oranges out there, and he came out from the valley to, to Paso Robles to do wine, and, and winemakers in this room know that winemaking is basically is, is extra, extra hard farming, because, you know, over there in the valley, you just raise the oranges and sell them, but here you've got to raise the fruit, then you've got to bottle the fruit, and then you've got to sell the fruit, and it is hard work. And I talked to a, this guy, Steve, and I, I said, Steve, I'm, I'm really worried about you. Are you okay? Oh, yeah, Graham. He said, I'm doing just fine. I said, you know, but Steve, this is Graham you're talking to. I mean, you don't have to tell me. I mean, pastor friend here, are you okay? I said, oh, I, I'm doing all right. He said, I, had to, I worked until 4 a.m. this morning. 4 a.m. He said, well, I did get two hours of sleep, he said. Two hours of sleep, and then, well, my little son was awake, and so I just picked him up, and I put him in the cab with me, and then we drove in the cab and did more work. I said, well, Steve, you can't keep that pace up. He said, oh, I know, harvest season will be over pretty soon. Don't worry about me, Graham, I'll be okay. And then Steve said something I won't forget. He said, but I want you to know, Graham, I love what I do. I love my life. I love working to the hardest ability that I can. I love pouring myself out into that vineyard, and I love the, the joy that I get back from it. I love it. And when Steve said that, I said to myself, I'm getting what Paul was thinking when he was in that Roman prison. Only he wasn't pouring himself out for a vineyard. He was pouring himself out for the vineyard of God. He was pouring himself out for the greatest cause there ever was. So I just want to share with you some things that I've thought about. And as we have four weeks left, I want you to think about how God might be calling you to pour your life out just in this next four weeks. Or maybe you already are pouring your life out and you just have to think about that in a new way. So first, God gives us the ability to pour our lives out and there is so much joy in that pouring out experience. So uh, there, was a, there was a little Irish town and there was this uh, priest out a little town and hardly anyone ever came to confess but these uh, two young men came in to confess one day and so this one goes into the father and says father the thing is that i've been hanging around with the wrong kinds of women i've been hanging around with loose sorts of women and i've never done anything with anything inappropriate but i just don't think of it hanging out with them is very good for me oh said the father ah, i know what you mean well tell me who then have you been hanging out have you been hanging out with megan o'reilly no, said the brother. I haven't been. Oh, we haven't been hanging out with uh, Megan O'Toole. Oh, no, I haven't been hanging out. No. Oh, have you been hanging out with Rachel, Rachel Ferguson? No, you haven't been hanging out. Okay, well then, just don't go into sin anymore. All right, all right. Head out. So he headed out, and there was his friend outside, and his friend said, "Well, how did it go? Well, I got three good names for you for the." <laughs> I'm sorry about that. 
It's just, it's hard to find jokes about pouring yourself out in St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Tony Campolo was uh, at a talk, one of the great speakers, and a woman came up to him after the talk, and, and uh, she said, would you pray for my husband? My husband has cancer, and I would just like you to pray for him. So Tony Campolo laid hands on her, and prayed for her husband, and they went, uh, she went away, and about two or three weeks later, the woman called up Tony and she said, I just want to thank you for praying for my husband. He said, well, I, I just want to know, I've been praying for him ever since, and so I just want to know how has he been doing. She said, well, he's very well, and he died. I'm so sorry to hear that, said Tony. Oh, no, she said. This was the biggest blessing there could ever be. She said, you know, you don't realize he was so angry for the longest time, he was so angry with God. He was angry that he had cancer. He was angry with everybody. He was angry with his life. And he was just, just no fun to be around, even himself. He couldn't even stand being around himself. But then you prayed for him. And a weird thing happened. He, he just started to cry. <laughs> he stopped being angry at God. He stopped being angry at everyone else. And he stopped being angry with himself. And he just started to cry. And then we prayed, and then he died. And I will tell you, she said, he died with a great big smile on his face. That's really what it's about. It's, it's really about, and I had a woman before worship come up to me today and say, Graham, is it, is it really okay to be angry with God? And I want you to know it is, because God can take it. That can be a part of the pouring out of our lives. Look at the book of Psalms. It's just one text after another. How, God, how could you forsake me? And then the tears come. And then God can fill us up in our lives. When I was in high school, I know a lot of your kids do sports, and uh, it's a great sports town. I, I did public speaking every single weekend. Every weekend, that's all I did. I'd go to another high school, and I'd practice my public speech. And, you know, I was kind of a nerd. And I guess I still am. Um, but that's all I would do. I'd go to a, a speech tournament. And so my freshman year, I went every single weekend and I didn't do anything. But the second year, my sophomore year, I, I went to nationals, the national tournament. And I was really excited. Maybe I, this kid from the sticks in Utah would make it somewhere. And I didn't go anywhere at nationals. Then the third year, I went to nationals. It was uh, out in Nashville. And then I broke to the quarterfinals. But I didn't go any further than that. Then my senior year, I got a chance to go to nationals, and then I broke to the final round. And the next morning was the final national speech tournament. This kid from, you know, Salt Lake City, Utah, made it to the finals of the national tournament. And that should have been a moment for me to just, you know, I don't know, feel great or something. But I got into the biggest fight in the world with my speech coach. He yelled at me, you shouldn't do that. And I said, you shouldn't. We yelled at each other. We started pushing each other around. And we yelled at each other and yelled at each other and yelled at each other. And then we started crying with each other. And I love you. I have always loved you. You know. <laughs> the next day, God willing and the crick didn't run dry. I won that national speech tournament. Now... Big deal, right? High school speech. <laughs> I had a little more hair back then, a little less girth. But I, I know that that was about me, me working hard, but it was about me pouring out and then God pouring in. 
And God will do that again and again and again. And maybe you are in a really hard job. Maybe you've got like 20 kids that you've got to somehow like take care of every single week. And, and you just pour yourself out into that job. Or, or maybe you're a dad and you pick up your kids and you've got to pick up all the neighbor kids. And you've got 25 backpacks to deal with. Or, or I don't know what it is that you might be dealing with. But God may be able to reframe that for you. So that you are not just pouring yourself out needlessly but that you can say, I'm pouring myself out for you, God, in what I do in my life. Second thing is God will pour back into you as soon as you pour yourself out. One of my favorite national leaders is Colin Powell. He was uh, Joint Chiefs. He was Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, first African-American, Secretary of State. What an incredible guy. One of the things about Colin Powell I love so much is his wisdom. He would come in after a long, long day of trying to work out peace with North Korea and the Middle East and He'd be so full of anger and, and anxiety and stress. And then he said, I would go out to, to that old, old shed in the back, and I would start working on my car. And I would work on that car until the wee hours of the morning, and then I would go to bed, and I would always wake up feeling better. God does that in our lives. He fills us back up again. The idea of this whole pouring out of being filled in comes from the book of Kings, the idea of an empty vessel, that you and I should be empty vessels for God. A woman, a true story it's from Second Kings, comes to the prophet Elisha, and she has, her husband has died, she has two kids, and these creditors are trying to take her kids away. And she says to Elisha, I, I don't know what to do. And Elisha says, tell me what you have in your life. She said, I have almost nothing. I have a tiny bit of olive oil in my jar. Elisha said, all right. I want you to go around the neighborhood and I want you to get everybody else's jars, hundred jars around the neighborhood and I want you to pour your little bit of olive oil into each of their jars. So she went around and she poured her little bit of olive oil into each of their jars and she amazingly, by some miracle, filled up all the other jars. She thought she didn't have anything left in herself. She thought there was nothing else to give. And as she poured herself out and poured herself out, she found that there was more and more and more and more there. And then God did an amazing thing. After she was all done pouring herself out, God filled her up to the brim. The book of Psalms says that her cup overflowed. God does the same in our lives. When we pour ourselves out in whatever way that God is calling us to do. And the last thing to remember is this. Jesus poured himself out for us. His blood literally poured down the cross. Many of you know that my grandparents uh, were in concentration camps in World War II. My mother's Scottish, and they were in Borneo, North Borneo. And so they were interned in 1941 when the Japanese came into North Borneo. My family were put in concentration camps. So my aunt, my uncle, my grandma and grandpa were in concentration camps. And so across the way from where my grandma and grandpa were, a pastor by the name of Ernest Gordon was in another camp in Indonesia, and he was helping the troops there to build a bridge over the River Kwai. That's where we get that great movie and that great book. So as they were building that bridge, one of the Japanese guards came over to them and said, one of you has stolen a shovel. They looked around and they said, I didn't steal a shovel. This guard was adamant, somebody stole a shovel and somebody's gonna die. 
They looked at one another, and no, no one still it's a shovel. He said, then all of you are going to die. And he pointed his rifle, and he, he looked like he was about to shoot all of them. And one of the young men stepped forward. He'd been reading the Bible about pouring himself out. And he said, I did it. And the Japanese guard began to beat him and beat him and kick him. And, and then he took the butt of his rifle and he brought it down on his head. And the young man crumpled into a pile on the ground. And then his comrades picked him up and they took him back to the camp where they prepared to bury him. And there leaning against the wall was the shovel. No one had stolen the shovel. The boy had given up his life so that no one else would have to die. You and I, we've stolen a few shovels. And Jesus came into this world to die, to pour himself out for us so that we can be filled by him. And all he's asking is that we would have the joy of, of pouring ourselves out in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we, we can't even begin to comprehend what it would be like for God to bow down to, to himself, God. God, we can't even begin to comprehend what it would be like for a God like you, the God, to make himself a lowly human like we are, and not just a lowly human, but to take up servant work. And then to not just to give his life, but to give his life in the most painful and pouring out of ways. And yet we know that somehow on that cross, your Father, you, Father, poured yourself into Jesus as he poured himself into us. And we ask that you would give us the courage and the strength and the humility to pour ourselves out with all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at Highlands.